Welcome back to the History Obscura Reading Room, friends. And welcome to the future. It's 2024 here at the Estates Library and many wonderful places around the world. And to all of you now residing in 2024, I wish you Happy New Year. Of course, it is not a new year, nor is it 2024, everywhere. It's still the year 113 in North Korea, which marks its personal beginning of time from the birth of Kim Il-sung, the eternal president, on April 15, 1912. It's also not 2024 in Ethiopia, so to my listeners there, I wish a happy continued 2016. For those listeners in Thailand, Israel, and other lovely locations in which you live in the future or the past, welcome to a fresh new season of the podcast. Tonight, I'm going to tell you one of the stories of an ancient Egyptian goddess. And by the by, if the people of Egypt had continued to use the same 365-day calendar as their ancestors, this would be the year 6,265. This particular tale was written during Egypt's New Kingdom, some thousand years before our so-called Common Era. It recounts the moment when mankind's greatest authority, the sun god Ra, contemplated wiping humanity from the earth. Once upon a time, Ra had grown old, according to the story. And upon seeing these signs of age, humankind plotted to overthrow their aging creator. The sun god, of course, learned of these machinations and, in essence, said bollocks to the lot of them. He called in the goddess Hathor, who was the physical embodiment of Ra's great eye, and ordered her to slaughter every single person on earth. This plan was very much to Hathor's liking. Hathor was, after all, known to transform into a murderous lioness called Sekhmet at Ra's bidding, so as to smite his enemies. Sekhmet wasted no time. She swooped upon the people of the world and tore them limb from limb, eradicating the scourge of humanity from all corners of the world. At last, she began to lay waste to Egypt, aiming finally for that rich delta of land straddling the Great Nile. What I believe happened next, my hieroglyphic deciphering skills are only so good, you know, is that Ra regretted his decision and wondered if he shouldn't spare a few good humans after all. The city of Emu still stood in the river delta, and so he tasked the people there with one last job so that they might have the chance to change his mind. He required the people of Emu and its surrounding farms to come together and brew 7,000 jugs of beer, then color them red with ochre. It was a perplexing request, but the Egyptians were in no position to ask questions. Emu's people scurried to follow these orders and managed to brew and dye all the beer before Sekhmet arrived to slaughter them all. They presented it to the sun god. 
Roy tasted the blood-red beer and happily found it to his liking. He then ordered the people to flood the Nile with the beer and hide out of sight of Sekhmet, who was fast approaching. Though the city of Emu has been referred to multiple times in Old Kingdom Egyptian literature, no one is really sure where that city is, or at least where it was. The best guess made by certain scholars is that Emu might have been the former name of the buried city of Qam el Hissam. The site in question, that of Qam el Hissam, was initially discovered by Flinders Petrie during his excavation at Naukratis in 1881. This and a subsequent dig revealed the remains of a mud brick temple enclosure wall, and four statues of Ramesses II. Two of these statues had inscriptions dedicating them to Sekhmet Hathor, mistress of Emu. This particular Nile Delta settlement was inhabited from the era of the Old Kingdom, 2700 to 2100 BCE, until at least the Middle Kingdom, from about 2000 to 1700 BCE. The importance of Sekhmet, the mistress of Emu, to this ancient city can be seen by the archaeological finds. In 1910, the tomb of Kesur, a priest of Hathor, was found and excavated by Campbell Cowan Edgar. Within, the stone head of a 12th dynasty pharaoh was found wearing the white crown of Upper Egypt. A damaged statue group of Amenhotep III was also found, possibly related to the broken colossus found earlier. This tomb suggests the presence of a cult of Hathor at the site. The presence of a cult of Hathor Sekhmet is inferred by the presence of cattle bones. In Egyptian mythology, Hathor is one of the main cattle deities, closely associated with the role of royalty and kingship. Cattle, for the Egyptians, were not a primary source of food. In fact, the bones of butchered pigs on site suggest that the bulk of the emu diet came from pigs, not cows. So why the cows? They are believed to have been kept at a necropolis dedicated to Hathor. In ancient Egypt, multitudes of animals, including cows, cats, and crocodiles, were produced and sacrificed in honor of their related deity. A cattle necropolis, therefore, would have been a graveyard or sacred tomb filled with mummified cattle in the name of Hathor slash Sekhmet. Of course, this is only a theory. There's much more to Sekhmet's story than her desire to help Ra slay his disappointing human creatures in Egypt. Sekhmet is portrayed as a lion-headed woman. Known as Ra's Eye, she is the creator god's daughter and his vengeful manifestation. She is a huntress. She is a warrior. She is lusty for blood. She's believed by some to be a vampire goddess, feeding as often as possible on the blood of her father's and Egypt's slain enemies whom she had personally killed. Which brings us back to that red ochre-dyed beer that all the good people of Emu brewed to save their souls. You see, Ra knew his warrior daughter very well. 
He knew that her desire to rain death down upon the humans could not be stopped by his will alone. So, once he decided to forgive the citizens of Emu their sins, as it were, he knew that Sekhmet's bloodlust must be satiated before she would halt her murderous mission. Ra instructed his people to disguise their beer as blood and pour it into the Nile. The river flooded with red liquid, and it appeared to Sekhmet, as she passed, that Ra had already called the people here, as the river ran with their blood. Thirsty as always for blood, Sekhmet could not pass by this river of death. She plunged herself into the Nile and drank deeply of its fake blood, while the people of Emu hid from sight. The more deeply the lion goddess drank, the more intoxicated she became, until she'd finally had her fill and settled peacefully back by the side of Ra, satisfied with a job well done and a bloodbath well enjoyed. It stands to reason that, once the drunken stupor had passed, Sekhmet eventually noticed that the city of Emu had somehow become populated with people again. Perhaps after her thirst was quenched, her righteous sense of rage faded away or became targeted at other enemies of the Great King. Perhaps the Great Temple of Sekhmet, discovered in Emu, was the ancient people's way of humbling themselves before the Great Goddess and asking devoutly that she not devour them. Unpublished notes from Petrie's visit to the site in 1884 describe an offering table to the goddess with an inscription that reads, The king gives an offering to the mistress of Emu, Sekhmet. Thank you for listening. And I would also like to sincerely thank you for buying History Obscura t-shirts and stickers and copies of my book this Christmas. I'm so pleased and happy to have contributed a little bit to the world this year and to have been celebrated in doing so. I feel appreciated and that makes me want to keep plugging away, finding the best obscure and weird tales that history has for you. On that note, I have a very exciting announcement. The podcast will be publishing its own line of books starting in just a few months. The first up will be called A Gruesome History of Medicine. I will keep you updated, let you know when pre-sales begin, and of course give you a couple of icky previews in the upcoming weeks. Please If you do enjoy the show, it means a lot to me if you do take the time to rate it on your podcast listening app. Share it on social media and with your friends. Drop a dollar or two in the tea fund at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash history obscura. Or sign up for the ad-free episodes at patreon.com forward slash history obscura. 
You can also buy a t-shirt, throw pillow, magnet, and all kinds of things with the podcast logo at TeePublic. Or pick up a copy of Mission to Mars or Letters to Earth at EndlessInkBooks.com. Ad revenue and donations keep the show running and the creatures fed. Most importantly, of course, tune in next weekend for another bedtime story. Good night. Thank you.